Can I encourage you to open your, your Bibles again to the, the book of Matthew, chapter 5, um, as we now turn to the, the first Beatitude that we're really focusing in on. Now, last week, whenever we were working our way th- through the Beatitudes, we kind of looked at them as a whole, and we thought about what does it mean to be blessed, what is, what, what are these, what's the big picture about this, and now we're going to zoom in each week, and we're going to look at each one of these Beatitudes. And the first one we're looking at this morning is blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I'm guessing that you've all heard blessed are the poor in spirit before. It's it's one of the most familiar parts of Jesus's teaching, but we're maybe not as familiar with its parallel in the gospel of Luke. And in the gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter six, verse 20, um, it's very similar, but it's not quite as easy to digest because in Matthew, we hear blessed are the poor in spirit. And we can quickly go to the idea that, well, you know, I'm a pretty humble person. I I feel pretty poor in spirit and that's fine. But Luke doesn't give us that escape. Luke doesn't give us that quick bit of reassurance. Luke says, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. He doesn't qualify it. He doesn't quantify it. He doesn't explain it. Blessed are the poor. And now, we can very quickly want to run to spiritualize and we can very quickly want to run to make this a metaphor, but these words ought to, in a sense, create us to pause and think and examine rightly for a moment as we see that Jesus, at the opening of his ministry in the Gospel of Luke, says, blessed are the poor. And it's almost become a truism to say that um, Jesus had a concern for the poor and the downcast. It's something we're very familiar with. It's, it's the, in some ways, it is the least controversial of Jesus' teaching now in our culture. Because if there's anything our, our, our culture loves, it's a Jesus who is primarily concerned with the poor and the downcast and the downtrodden. And I think that's because we've got a really nice way to think about it because we can hold that at arm's length and we, that's something that we can fix or think we can fix. As Christians, we have a really good history of trying to fix things and trying to improve the situations of those who are downcast and downtrodden. Um, There was a study done in 2017 that found that 61% of people in the UK give to charity regularly. But if that person is a Christian, it jumps from being 61% to being 87%. And that's not including giving to their local congregation. That's just charitable giving. Because there is a sense in which to encounter Jesus is to encounter somebody who loves the poor, who loves the downcast, and who loves the downtrodden. So that he says pieces of teaching that are so countercultural and so unnerving to those of us who live quite nice, comfortable lives, that, that we come away going, we wish we could find a way to spiritualize this quite quick. We're probably very familiar with... Um, with Jesus' teaching when he says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're all familiar with that part of the Bible, yeah? And automatically what, you, what happened was in around the 18th century, um, people wanted to spiritualize it 
And there began to be a, a, a little bit or a little illustration that you maybe heard. And, and some, of you may, some of you may have heard this, some of you may have not. But people used to say that, well, you know, what Jesus really meant, whatever he said, that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What he really meant was he meant that it was easier for a rich man to go through, or for a camel of a rich man to go through the eye of the needle, which was a gate in Jerusalem. Have you heard this? Some of you heard this, I see a few nods. And the idea was that in, in Jerusalem, there was supposedly this very narrow gate. And if you were a rich man, your camel was really heavy laden with all your stuff. And to get the camel through the gate, you, you, you had to on, offload everything from the camel, put the camel through and then put everything back on again. And it was a hassle, it was a nuisance, but it was still, still doable in some way. But here's the difficulty and here's the problem with that, is that there is no archeological evidence for the existence of a gate, like the eye of the needle. Um, there is nothing in the context of the passage which, which would make us think that Jesus is referring to a physical gate. So whenever Jesus said it is easier for a rich man, or for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven, he meant something really profoundly challenging. He meant a literal camel and a literal needle, and this in a time before blenders. Like, it is a hard teaching. Because we are faced with the idea that we do not have the riches that we need to get into the kingdom of heaven, even if we are exceedingly rich in the eyes of the world, because to be poor in the eyes of God is to have nothing that the world wants. It's to have... It's to not have the big bank balance and it's to not have the prestige. It is to not have the great um, personality that everybody flocks to in the room. It is to be lowly and it is to be downcast and it is to be poor. Poor in every sense of the word. So whenever we read, blessed are the poor, we are reminded something of the heart of God and we are reminded something of the character of God, that he looks at those who are struggling and those who have very little, and he says that they are blessed in some way. And even if we do want to spiritualize it and say, well, some of you might want to say, whenever we, we see commands in scripture about God blessing the poor, it is always to those who are within the community of God. It's always to those who are within the community of Israel or within the church. So in the New Testament, whenever we see the widows being cared for, it's the widows within the church. So we might want to retreat and say, well, the poor, whenever Jesus says, blessed are the poor, that only refers to the poor within inside the church. And that's fine. That's great if we want to go with that that interpretation. But then we encounter things like the law in Deuteronomy 15.11 that says that there will never cease to be poor in the land. And God then says, therefore I command you, you shall open your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. For, there will never, for, the, for then you will, there will cease to be poor. So the idea that as Christians, we want to open up our hands until the point where there is no need. We are to be people who are generous in a way that will cost. And we are it to care in a way that is not easy and is not comfortable. Because blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
But there's a problem with what I've just said. And we, we reached this point in the sermon last week. Because what I have said so far is just plain religion. Plain work harder, try harder, be nicer. And as I said last week, and I will repeat again, that is not controversial in the world around us. And, and that is not going to upturn anybody's apple cart in this world because we all love the idea of being wonderful, generous people who give to the point where it costs us. We all love the idea of a gospel that says, try harder to be nicer and to care about the poor. But there's a reason there's a reason why Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit and not just blessed are the poor. And it's not that him and Luke mean something different. It's that Matthew is clarifying for his audience something that Luke presumes his audience would have known. And, and that is that the word poor has a certain amount of kind of lexical elasticity to it that poor has in our language as well. Because we can use poor to mean those who have very little. But you also use poor in another way, don't you? You know, we've got this great saying and also, you know, the poor oil creator. Um, if you describe somebody as a poor oil creator, you're not describing their bank balance and you're not describing their income. What, what you mean is that there's a sense in which they are lowly. There's a sense in which uh, they are in need of something. And that something isn't always something material and that something isn't always something that can be bought. And even as we work through the gospels, we see that Purr, like whenever Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that that includes so much more than those who are just economically poor. Because Matthew, who writes the gospel, Matthew was a tax collector and would have been exceedingly well off. Mary and Martha, two of Jesus's kind of closest female followers, were well off. They were able to buy a tomb for their brother Lazarus. The fishermen who Jesus calls to be his disciples were the nearest thing you could probably get to a middle class in the ancient world. Whenever we encounter Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who Jesus spends time with and, is, and wants to try and bring in the kingdom of heaven, he's trying to bring somebody who would have been rich and powerful and well off in their society into the kingdom of heaven. Joseph of Arimathea, who gave Jesus his tomb, was a rich, was a rich well-off man who was able to give something of generosity to Jesus. It's far too simplistic to just read the Beatitudes and say, blessed are the poor in spirit, and think that that means entirely to purr as in some sort of economic welfare form. But purr in spirit means something that drives to the heart of us so much more, which is it drives to the heart of us because it says that if you are purr in spirit, you have to admit that you are without something that you desperately need. The purr in spirit need something that is not within themselves. And the poor in spirit are the people who realize that they need something. Because if you were, say, and middle class in spirit isn't exactly a, a term, but for the sake of argument, we'll use a term. We can imagine what being middle class in spirit is, couldn't we? Middle class in spirit says that if you work hard enough, you can get there. If you go to the right school, you'll get there. If you, put, you apply yourself, you'll come out at the end and you'll succeed and you'll go far. But that is not what the kingdom of heaven is like because the kingdom of heaven is not built upon the idea that if you work hard and try hard, you get your just desserts. That's not the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is built upon God's grace. God's grace that says you are poor and you are deprived and you need something and the only way you will get it is if you realize that you are deeply in need of something. 
And that is what is countercultural, and that is what is controversial about our message as Christians. Because we live in a world that wants to say that every individual is entirely autonomous and has everything that they need within them. So we hear these little truisms and these little trite bits of wisdom in our society that say that if you look, if you look deep inside yourself, you'll find the power to do it. Or, you know, it, you can, if anything is possible, if you dream big enough. You know all those sorts of sayings, those little bits of wisdom that sound really lovely, but they confine us to our own destruction whenever we realize that we do not have the power within us to do what we need to do or ultimately to get close to God. We need to confess that we are poor, needy in spirit because then then we can enter into the kingdom of God. Then we can see the kingdom of God. Because throughout the Bible, there's a theme of the poor. Often whenever you see the poor referenced in the Bible, you need to look at what they're doing. And what they're doing is, is very seldom just sitting, being angry at the fact that they have very little. And but rather there's a theme that develops where those who are poor and those who are needy have one response, which is they cry out to God who answers their very need. So in Psalm 34 verse six, it says, the poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him from his troubles. Or in Job 34 verse 28, it says, so they caused the cry of the poor to come to him that he might hear the cry of the afflicted. We are all poor in spirit but we need to cry out to God. We can't remain indifferent towards him. We need to realize that our sense of poverty in our hearts is one that can only be met in the richness of a God who fills us and gives us every spiritual need we need. You know, one of the fastest growing religious demographics at the minute is the rise of the nuns. And that's not a lot of people in habits, um, but that's the idea of those who have no religious affiliation. And what's interesting is that if, a lot of people have tried to claim that the rising number of people who have no religious affiliation is the rise of atheism, but that's not the case. Because if you break that group down, actually what happens is, is that the largest demographic is people who believe in God. And the majority of them believe in the Judeo-Christian God, the God we believe in. And the majority of them believe the Bible's true, but there's one main difference that marks them out as religious nuns as opposed to people who maybe are devoted to Jesus, and that's this. They're ultimately indifferent in their religion because they think that God owes them one. They think that they can go through life just being a spiritual, good, nice person and that they will inherit the kingdom of God. But that is, that is not what Jesus drives at. Because the kingdom of heaven is filled with people who all share one common piece of knowledge that we need, we need a savior for we are wretched sinners. And the only place we can go to find him is in our Lord and savior, Jesus. Because if we want to get into the kingdom of heaven as king, we're not gonna get in at all. But if we go, want to get into the king of heaven, praising the king, 
That's what makes all the difference. For we are all poor in spirit. And we want to cry out to the king of the kingdom of heaven who blesses us again and again as we call upon his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace you show us through your son. We praise you for your goodness to us and your patience with us. Would we be like the power of the Old Testament who cry out to you, realizing that we are needy, but we come to a God of immeasurable riches. In Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.